0: Well, tonight, I'm so glad you could join with us as we celebrate Christmas Eve, the night before Christmas. For my message, and it's really going to start tonight and it's going to carry over into tomorrow, I'm looking at Luke chapter 2. So we'll look at the first seven verses or so of Luke chapter 2, and it's called Twas the Night Before Christmas because it's everything building up to Jesus' birth, and then tomorrow in our three services, we will uh, look at the rest, what happened after he was born, and get reflections on that. Now, I realize that a lot of you won't be at church tomorrow. You're coming tonight just so that you don't feel guilty about missing tomorrow. <laughs> totally fine with me, although I'm really baffled by people that go, are, are we having church on Christmas? I'm like, seriously? It's Christmas, you know. The notion of not doing, not celebrating Jesus on his birthday—the day we celebrate his birthday—is like, no, we got other stuff. You know, there are games on and other things that we need to do. And um, I'm now obviously having Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day with services. You you have to adjust to it. Um, For instance, one of my favorite personal. Christmas traditions, after I go home tonight, I'll have to um, download Die Hard and watch it because it's my favorite Christmas movie. But it'll fit, it's gonna be okay. I, um, so I'm glad you're here, but, and, I'm, and I hope that if you're here and you can't be here tomorrow, I hope tonight is a blessing for you, certainly. But um, we'll be here, just so you know, um, and uh, continuing our celebration of Christmas. Uh, the other thing, honestly, I thought, well, guy, you know, if we don't have services on Christmas, it's going to be 11 more years before Christmas falls on a Sunday again. I'll be dead probably, you know. <laughs> so it's like, okay, got to do this. Um, no judgment on people who don't, though. I'm just, I'm old. I'm old school. I'm just like, I, I can't imagine. But here we are, So Luke chapter two, what I want to reflect on is what was going on on the night before Christmas, what was going on building up to what we celebrate as the birth of Jesus. And I understand the birth of Jesus may not have been on December 25th, um, but we don't know that. It was uh, the December 25th was identified as his birthday in like the third century. So they certainly would have had some information The only reason people give for saying no way was it December 25th is they say it was the winter and it was too cold for shepherds to be out with sheep, but come on, Jerusalem has the exact same weather as Orange County. Yeah, it might be a little inconvenient, but maybe they could have put a jacket on, so it may have been December 25th, it may not have, but that's the day we pick. doesn't really matter whether it was the accurate one or not. Luke chapter 2. It says, and of course, Luke, who's writing this, was a historian. The book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, was his creating, here's what happened, building up to the development of Christianity, building up to Paul, who ended up being in prison, and he was on trial, and Luke was kind of helping with his defense. And so he's just going, here's what happened, here's the deal. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus wife or his fiancee who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Really, some of the details are sort of surprising. Like the timing of this whole census that had to take place was weird. But it's partly pointed out because what was going on in the world the night before Christmas is incredibly important. See, Jesus had to come at just the right time. It couldn't have been just any random time. Now, in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul says that he came in, in due time, but it was really the, the words imply he came at the perfect time. It was time for him to come, in other words. So the fact that it's identified relative to the Roman officials and this taxation and the census is certainly more than a coincidence as Luke is reciting this story. So let's consider what the environment was like in those days because that's the backdrop for this whole story of Christmas Eve. So what was the world like on the first Christmas Eve? Well... The Roman Empire had been you know, going for you know, 400 or more years at this point. Originally, there was the Greek kind of empire. The Greeks were really brilliant people. In fact, there were almost no Roman scholars. They just all studied Greek stuff. And still, most of their academic stuff was in the Greek language rather than in Latin because the Greeks were brilliant. As the Greeks were building their empire and it came to its apex under Alexander the Great, um, they were conquering most of everything north of the Mediterranean Sea and some things down in northern Africa as well. But they had a big thing about a representative government. They were proud of being a republic. They weren't like all the countries that had dictators, they were the ones who had, you know, a senate. They were the ones who voted. So when the Romans ended up taking over and conquering the Greeks, the Romans were pretty brutal. And you had like Julius Caesar, for instance, who was, you know, the first one really that caused Roman government to, they still had a Senate and they still had elections. Citizens could still vote under Julius Caesar. But it was like incredibly corrupt. Um, This may sound... Really, like something you've never imagined before. (laughs) But there were constant allegations of election fraud. There, There were constant allegations of the rich people are actually controlling the Senate. The powerful people are the ones that are pushing everyone around. So that was the way things were building up too. Now, Julius Caesar ended up deciding, he became a little more radical, and he started trying to become a dictator. He actually, at some point towards the end of his life, declared himself to be a god. Romans didn't care that much about gods. The Greeks were really into the gods. The Romans, like, the gods were just random for them. But he kind of claimed to be one, and they're like, this is a little weird. So Julius Caesar ends up getting stabbed to death by some of his best friends. Um, it seemed like it went pretty smoothly, 23 stab wounds. but. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, there are kids here. I don't want to freak them out. And, you know, But I'm sure they've heard worse. So now he doesn't have a son who could take over. In fact, Julius Caesar, this will seem weird to you, but people even questioned his, well, his actual first name was Gaius. So, uh, but, uh, sorry. It's true, it's true. Read your history. So, no, but anyhow, He had, he adopted his nephew, his great nephew, who was the guy that's mentioned here, Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus' name was um, Octavius, but he named himself Caesar Augustus. He was going to be. The August one. He was going, and the the month of August ended up being named after him as well. But he made himself the dictator. He still talked a good game, but he spread the Roman Empire incredibly. Because, and some of it was through war. He was a good soldier. And so, as they conquered everything from, if you're thinking about Rome, moving over to Spain around the Mediterranean, down to northern Africa, all the way over to what they call Judea, but what we call Israel. Everything basically surrounding the Mediterranean now, they had under their control. The way they controlled it wasn't through making them a part of Rome. It was just like dominating them and controlling them. China. But, um, no, it's like they had this way of just going... You owe us, and therefore we own you. And so, what they would do with these, they'd go to a country and go, you know what, you can keep your king, but you just need to pay us taxes. And we'll say that you're kind of honorary Romans. Now, some of them they would allow to be Roman citizens, most of them weren't. Most of the people, in the area of Israel, in the area of Judea, never became Roman citizens. It was rare when someone was. Like, Paul was a Roman citizen, even though he was educated, you know, in in Jerusalem. Most of those people wouldn't have been Roman citizens, but Paul was a Roman citizen because at some point, the emperor had owed somebody a favor in the little town where Paul, in Tarsus, and so he's like, okay. So they handed these things out. Now, taxes were huge, okay? They were being taxed to death. But here's the thing. The rich people weren't paying taxes. The senators weren't, it's just like today. The senators weren't paying taxes. The important people weren't paying taxes. No, of course not. They're smart enough not to. But they also, the, the slaves weren't paying taxes. Poor people weren't paying taxes. They were balancing the entire economy of the empire basically on the backs of the middle class. Which is, which is interesting when it comes to Joseph. People often say, oh, Mary and Joseph, they were so poor. Well, they weren't poor. If they weren't poor, they wouldn't have even had to go and do this. They, you saw this during the time of Jesus. Here, there are itinerant hobos. And sure, they would come along and collect a few coins from you of tax. Whatever they could get from you, Fine. But ultimately, they understood, if we can control small businesses, if we can control people who actually have other people that they're answerable to, then, you know, we can make this thing happen. But more and more, they were having problems doing that. Because you had, for instance, there in Judea, you had um, Herod, who was called, he called himself king. He also named himself Herod the Great. Nobody else called him that, but he did. But, you know. As long as he was getting, giving a cut to Rome, then it was fine. He could do what he wanted. He was building buildings. He was collecting taxes himself, but he was also paying off the Romans. But, you know, as we, Caesar Augustus, as his, things began to crumble for him in a way, kind of in the same way, ultimately, that happened with the Grecian Empire when Alexander the Great died, he was getting insecure, and at this time, now the Roman Empire lasted for another almost 400 years, so it didn't collapse from all this stuff, but it was tenuous. And so for the first time, here was something that, now nobody else had ever said, you need to go back to where you came from and register as a, as a voter and as a taxpayer. That was, that was unheard of in all of history. But the Bible and Micah had predicted that the Messiah was going to be born in Jerusalem. Well, his mom lived in Nazareth. So all of this fits together. This whole massive taxation program and the kind of corruption and everything that was behind it all, it all fit in. It, it's not something that could have happened any time in any place. This was very unique. And in a huge way, when you have if you think about it, in a few years, Christianity is going to have to spread around the world. So how's that going to happen if you don't have a system that kind of circles everywhere? Christianity pops up in, in Alexandria, in Egypt. It pops up in Turkey and Asia Minor and, of course, in, in Jerusalem, but all the way to Rome and to Greece and to ever. Well, this was a unique strategic time. And so when Paul says hey, this was a time that was perfect for Messiah to come. It was a perfect time for Christmas Eve. When you study the history, you go, it does seem very strategic. It did seem that all of these things came together to get, every, you know, there was insecurity. There was this desire for keeping track of people. There was like not knowing what's going to happen next. It was actually a really good time for Christmas to take place politically, nationally, and in a way that, you know, the Jews lacked a whole lot of control. You know, Herod later tried to kill the babies off, but he really couldn't pull it off because he had really limited power and influence. He was just a vassal king in a way. He wasn't a real ruler that had power over everything. Everybody had some power, but everyone had somebody else that had power over them. And so it was uniquely a strategic time. So that's the environment into which Christmas Eve came. Now, think about Joseph. What was, this, what was he going through right at this point? He was in love with Mary. She was a young teenage gal. And all of a sudden, she is with child. And he's like, w- we... We haven't done the things that makes people, you know. We haven't seen the stork, and so, <laughs> and so here he, he's like, he's a nice guy. He loves her. He's like, ah, I'm a little hurt, but you know, she should be killed. But I'm just going to put her away secretly, and then he has a dream, where an angel speaks to him and says. The child that Mary has is from the Holy Ghost and he is going to be the one who will save the world. So hang on to her. This is going to be fine. I don't care how nice of a guy you are. You are, he was a, basically a construction worker. We sometimes call him carpenter, but what they call carpenters we would call stonemasons today. So there he is. And all And plus think about it, God tells you this in a dream. Like, you ever dream weird stuff? Now, are you going to base your whole life on what you dreamed? That's what he had. Plus what Mary had said, honest. An angel came to me and told me, the Holy Spirit's going to do this to me, and our son is going to be the savior of the world, really, really. And he's like, I don't know, but then he has this dream and he's like, wow, really bad timing that now he has this young pregnant girl and he has to get her down to where both of them are required because, again, probably his status as a business owner made it necessary for him to go down to Bethlehem to register because that's where his family was from. You know, imagine if, if we looked in this group of people right here and where are you from originally, Now, a lot of you were from somewhere else and you came here because it was way better here than it was where you came from. Now, a lot of people didn't get the memo, so they grew up here, and now they're going off to all these garbage places to be like, "Eh," you know. And imagine if there you are living in Tennessee with a bunch of hillbillies, and they go, well, you're going to have to go back to California. Or if they talk, if they tell me, you know, every once in a while, you're going to have to go to Stanton. I'm like, i like, i drive through Stanton if I'm going somewhere, but I haven't really gone there to actually, well, I did one time have a guy that works for the city of Stanton, where I grew up, um, he listens to me on the radio, and he invited me to come and spend the day with him and see how much the city has improved, and it was really sweet of him to do that, and I'm like driving around, and I'm going, that's pretty much the way I remember it. <laughs> And then he goes, hey, why don't you go, maybe we'll go and you can go to your old house where you lived. And, you know, I've met these people, seem like nice people. And I go, sure, that'd be awesome. They wouldn't let us in. And I go, I'll just take a picture of the outside. No, they don't want us to even take a picture of the house. like, okay, good. I'm glad I don't have to go back there a lot, you know. But for them, it's like Nazareth is, you know, 80, 90 miles away from where they were from. And now at the worst time in the world, they're having a baby and now they have to go back there. But it's the Romans. What are you going to do? Say, no, sorry, you know, uh, Caesar, sorry. There you, um, we're just not going to do it. We're going to be tax protesters. Um, In those days, tax protesters didn't get ignored. They would be killed, and then they would just take your business and everything that you owned. So Joseph's in a rough spot. He's got to take this journey. Now, the journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem would take generally about four days. And that's without stopping to use the bathroom every 20 minutes with a pregnant woman. But, you know, it's like, so they probably had, they're usually shown with a donkey Usually a donkey was the cheapest way they would haul their stuff around. Couldn't afford horses or camels or something. So likely they had a donkey. It would be easily a four-day, four-to-five-day journey to get down there. The worst possible time to do this. But he did it because he had a dream. And something inside of him caused him to also believe his fiance. You know, I just think she's... I've never had her lie to me and she's telling me something that now I had this dream as well. Let's go. Let's roll. Let's head down there to Bethlehem where we've got relatives who never had the sense to move out and we you know and so that's Joseph on Christmas Eve. What's Mary dealing with? You now, she knew a little more because she absolutely knew what she hadn't done. She also had um, a relative who, perhaps a cousin, it's not really clear, um, Elizabeth, who as an old lady, and her husband was a priest, and they had been told that they were going to have a baby, and then she was way after the age where people would normally have babies. And so she saw that. And so she went to see Elizabeth and told Elizabeth her crazy story, and Elizabeth's like, I think it's real. I'm telling you, this weird thing happened with us, and her son ended up being John the Baptist. But So Mary has a little support from an older woman who she loved, Elizabeth. She has an angel coming and talking to her and telling her about this, and she looks in the mirror and she goes, "I, I didn't do anything to get to this point, so what do I do? But then there she is with this long journey back to Stanton or to Podunk. You know, as long, maybe for you, it's Phoenix or something. But, you know, there you are. you got to go back. And she's going. And it's uncomfortable and it's painful and it's scary. She's never had a kid before. She doesn't really know what that's like. And she's not going to most likely have a midwife handy with her. It's just her and this Joseph who has this weird look on his face, like he doesn't know what's going on, and how's this gonna happen? And then you know, we find later, they also couldn't get a room. I mean, a lot of people, it's kind of like, there are a lot of places where, when a lot of people are from there, but they all leave for a reason. It's like, that's why when you look at other parts of the country and you go, houses are so cheap, uh, yeah. That's why. Because nobody wants to live there. But now imagine all those people who have to come back. And how are you going to find a room? And so here, after a long journey, Mary is like, I can't believe it. And Joseph is like, I got a great, Some people are letting us stay in a cave behind their house where the animals stay. But, you know, don't babies love animals? I don't know. I think this could be fine. And, and so she has to have this baby there without other women helping her and then she wraps the baby and lays him in a manger and it's like, wow, Christmas Eve. The country, the nation, the world, it's in a perfect place for this to happen. Joseph, he's mystified, confused, doesn't know what to think, doesn't know what to say, pretty much like any man with a woman. But, um, you know, he's like, oh, Mary is this teenage girl who's, I don't know what's happening. This is, this is wild. This is nuts. And here I am after this long journey, and here I am, and it's just, she's in misery. But there's somebody else who's there too, and that's Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever really thought about this. Um, in Philippians, Paul talks about Jesus We call it the kenosis passage. It says, let this mind me, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, didn't see that as something to hang on to, but he emptied himself. The Greek word there is kenosis. That's why people call it the kenosis passage. So Jesus had been God for all of eternity. Jesus had been involved creating everything. Nothing was made without him, as John tells us in John 1. And now there's a moment where he becomes a baby. Now, he empties himself and says, okay, I'm leaving all of this, and I'm going down there. Not just to the world. It's like, it's into a woman that doesn't know about having babies. She doesn't even know where you came from. Now, it's also, if you think about it, even theologically, um, at what point... Did Jesus as a God, Jesus as a person, at what point was he inside Mary? It certainly wasn't in the second trimester or whatever. No, because it wouldn't have existed. For Jesus, it was that moment. Now, because he gave up the independent use of his divine attributes, we say, so when he's a human, he doesn't know everything. He can't do everything. You know, it's... He allows himself to be in this position. And yet still, you think, did he have awareness? I mean, every child inside their mother's womb has awareness at some point. It's always fun when they react to, you know, when they hear music or their mother or their father's voice to them. All of a sudden, you can see them getting a reaction. It's, the development is interesting. But imagine for Jesus... You've been in heaven forever. You created everything. You are God. And here you are in this dark place. As your body is beginning to form and develop. Wow, that's unbelievable. And that was Christmas Eve for him. Right up until the point where he was born. And so you look at it and you go, wow, Looking at Christmas Eve from the standpoint of the culture, it was a really good time. Looking at it from the standpoint of Joseph, ugh, it's tough. There's a lot I don't know. Mary knows a little more, but she's experienced a little less. It's hard for her. For Jesus, he is understanding what it is to develop as a human being because that's a choice that he made. So really, it kind of leaves us with, the question of, so where are we at on Christmas Eve? Where do we see ourselves? <clears throat> What's really interesting, and, and you know, it's with Paul in Galatians 4 when he talks about that Jesus came at just the right time, and you look at all the things that make it just the right time, it's amazing how much our current environment, if, if you want to blow your mind, because people, people who don't study history think that, oh, everything today, this has never happened before. It's never, you study history, you realize, no, the kinds of stuff that's happened now has happened before. And when you read about the Roman Empire and you read about the evil people who ran it and all the scams and the fake democracy and everything else that they did, it's like, if that was a perfect time for Jesus to come, I'm thinking this... It's a pretty good time for him to come again. Amen. The environment is here. It's, it's ready. It's ripe. Now, there are people who will say that, you know, oh, yeah, all the immorality and everything today, it's like God's got to come and smash him. God saw all that immorality in Rome, and he came and rescued it, gave it an opportunity. That's his heart as well. And so when I look at our world, I just don't think, Oh, God's gonna have to destroy everything. Someday He's gonna have to destroy everything in order to really make everything new and fresh. But his heart is not to look at us and go, they disgust me. If he could handle the first century and the, we- the weirdness of that culture, and he could even, you know, rescue some of the people who were the most vilely involved in the lifestyles of those days, then he looks at today and goes, you know what? I mean, for one thing, you guys think that the people around you are weirdos? I've seen weirdos. They've been with us for thousands of years. And what that does to me is I go, I want to go down there and not destroy them. I want to save them. I want to rescue them. I want to redeem what's good within a culture that's broken. And so many of us find ourselves looking at the culture and going, oh, this is so disgusting. That didn't keep Jesus from coming in the middle of a culture that was seriously way more perverse than ours. But at the same time, some of us are in a position of like Joseph where we're going, well, I mean, I see what he's doing, I don't totally understand it, it's sort of confusing to me. Others may relate more to Mary, of like, man, I've, God has come into my life, he has saved me, he has changed me, but I didn't know what I was getting myself in for. The evangelists all said, oh man, all my problems are going to be over if I just walk down the front and come to Jesus. And like, I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that this came with it. And so we find ourselves in a place where we're like, This is kind of out of control, but we have to understand Christmas Eve, no matter what perspective you're going to look at it, it's for you and it's for me. And it's so that we understand right now, and I don't know when Jesus is going to return. I know he's gonna return, this seems like a perfect time, but I'm not telling you, okay, it'll be by this date or by this time, I don't know. But I know one thing, if you don't know him, he wants to come into your life right now. He wants your Christmas to be one where you go, I'll always remember that one. I'll always remember because at that point, I finally said to him what Mary said, okay, fine, do what you want in my life. I want to follow you. I want to know you. And if you've never made that decision, today would be a perfect day. Christmas Eve, the night before, everything that's going on, you're like, yep, I see the world. I hear Joseph. I hear Mary. I think of Jesus. And you know what? It's a beautiful story. And I want it to be my story as well. And I pray if you've never made that decision that you would do it today. And, you know, if you're here, if you came here with somebody else who brought you, that like, dragged you, and you weren't going to get candy if you didn't come... Um, but you're thinking you'd really like your life to turn around? Ask the person who brought you to pray with you. And if they look really weird and uncomfortable, bring them with you down to the front, and there'll be people down here, I'm sure, who we'd love to talk with you and pray with you. But I pray that as we look back on the night before Christmas, we'll get a sense of the fact that despite every challenge, That something amazing was about to happen, and we call it Christmas. And I have that same sense, I have that same conviction, I have that same feeling today. Something good is going to happen for somebody. Even though it may take a while for it to flower forth, I mean, a baby has to be born and raised, and he didn't really do much significant until he was 30, but you could see it happening you could see it germinating. I love that when God wanted to reveal himself to people, you know, as Hebrews, I think Paul wrote Hebrews, but some people disagree with me. But, you know, he says, God who at different times in a different way has spoken in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us in his son. Why a son? Why a child? Because there's something about children that if you pay attention, they speak to you more about the reality of life and the reality of what it is to love and be loved and the hope and the promise of what's coming next. That baby is such a beautiful picture and it's why your heart warms when you see children. And you're like, I just wish they didn't have to grow up. But, you know, that's probably the way God sees us when we're first born again. He's like, ah, and then we get a little older and he's like, man, I had great promise for you, but but he wants to know you. He wants this Christmas to be the day when you meet him personally. He's real. This isn't some fake story. This is something that for almost 2,000 years that people have bet, well over 2,000, people have bet their entire lives on the fact that What if this is true? And then when they've received him, they've found this is more important than anything else ever. They were willing to die, and many of them did, in order to hang on to what they believed. And so I think it's something that you should at least consider. The great thing is he isn't like saying, you know, okay, you can accept me today, but I need you to give me all your Christmas presents. He doesn't want anything from you. He just wants to give to you. So who in their right mind will go, no, I'm good. If you are, great for you. Sorry you had to come to church and hear about this, but someday when you figure out you're not enough by yourself, he's there for you. He loves you. The baby who was born on Christmas, the one who was carried all that way from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, he's come all this way to meet you. And I pray that you meet him if you haven't. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story and the reality of it. Thank you for the encouragement that even in the time of Caesar Augustus, one of the most corrupt times politically ever, that you said, this is a perfect time for me to send my son. And a little village that didn't have available rooms, and you said, this is a perfect place for me to send my son. As we celebrate you and tomorrow as we, many of us gather together and others are doing other things, but as we remember the impact that started at Christmas Eve, then Lord, please help us to align our lives with who you are and how much you love us. Thank you for the beauty of the story of a baby that spoke to us of everything that you are and everything that you desire and all that you plan for each of us. And we thank you in Jesus' name.